Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it's uh, time to talk about week three. We've had the Year Skeptic series now for a few weeks, and we've been doing these podcasts each week afterwards, just sort of a commentary, our thoughts on it. This week I have Dr. David Robinson. No relation, but he is the second other David Robinson that I've had on the podcast in the last few weeks. And so um, you guys will just have to figure it out. I'll make you a chart or something like that. Uh, so anyway, we, we talked a lot on uh, Sunday about basically, you know, the question of whether Christianity is somehow connected to racism or sexism. Uh, that, that complaint has been leveled against believers for some time now. And one of the things that we talked about is that there's some reason for people to level that complaint. There has been a decent amount of uh, trouble within within the church concerning these issues, really for some time, much of which just has to do with the fact that there are people in the church rather than uh, the, the church itself or scripture being something that would condone racism. In fact, we went through and, and uh, talked through how the scripture is the only place where you will get uh, the foundation or the justification for not having racism, for not having sexism, for seeing people as equal and so on. And so, uh, David, I just wanted to kind of walk through, you've, you've been, you've lived in a number of places, both inside and out of this country, um, and certainly been around long enough to see, you know, what's your take on why in, in, at this time, there are still so many people who would say racism and sexism are connected specifically to Christianity. Well, unfortunately, David, there's a long history of racism and sexism in the country. And as a historian, I've spent decades studying it. I should probably share that I actually grew up in the Deep South in the height of the bad old days of the Civil Rights Movement. Our family moved to New Orleans in mid-1956 which was right after Dr. Martin Luther King began to uh, make noise from his new position in Birmingham. Uh, And so even though I was too young at the time to remember those moments, I would grow up in New Orleans and later Baton Rouge. Uh, We would move on from there. Few years later, after I'd been there five or six years, we would move to Mobile, Alabama. You go any further deeper south than that, you're swimming. That's right. <laughs> um, and then finished up with another couple of years in Nashville, Tennessee. So altogether, uh, from the time I was three until about the time I was 15, I was in the deep, deep south. Uh, I saw the separate drinking fountains, the separate doors, the segregated churches, the segregated stores, the requests or demands that blacks move to the back of buses, refusals to pick up black passengers, and so forth. That mm-hmm. was that was part of the daily experience. The N-word was part of the daily experience. Uh, I spent time when I was in Nashville attending a Christian school. Uh, one of the, a very well-known Christian school there, and a number, a great number of the people that I knew at this fine Christian school uh, used the N-word regularly, were, were hostile racists, and whenever the subject came up, you knew exactly where they stood. And this was in a Christian school that was so conservative, they didn't even allow musical instruments. Uh, and yet, they did allow racism. The, the, the sexism was there from the beginning, simply in the way that Southern men tended to treat Southern women right. throughout. So uh, if anyone were to look around in what's happened in this country over the last 70, 80 years, it would be pretty hard to miss the combination of racism and sexism that the country has. It, impossible to miss actually in the deep south of course it was it was simply part of the daily the daily picture of things uh, me as a child I was always deeply aware of the hatred and the tension that was in the air it was hostile territory and there was people had pretty cruel pretty violent attitudes about these things 
of course, even as a child and as a teenager growing up, I was intensely aware of how I was treated because I had a different attitude towards these things. Our family come from the West Coast. We had a much more liberal attitude towards this, uh, and we were we were anti-racist in mm-hmm. our approach to things, which made us stand out. And we were not popular in the neighborhoods where we lived in the so-called New South. Mm-hmm. So it was. Having seen it at close hand, I couldn't fault anybody, any skeptic today who said the church has been has been hand in glove with racism in America. Certainly, mm-hmm. um, I can understand why they would have that attitude. And the and the real issue being Christ and, and Christianity and Scripture are supposed to look different. Really, you saw in the South, then, and frankly, even in the Portland area at that time, uh, you know, which is where we are. Uh, you know, now where the church is located, racism was just a natural part of, ingrained into the culture, and I would say it was racism forward. Now we have sort of this racism in the back where no one admits it. It's a different issue altogether, but it was racist forward in the Portland area. It was racist forward in the Deep South, I think, California. Some of those states were a little more uh, progressive on, on the issue, but certainly uh, there was a lot of racism, and the church didn't look any different right. than the rest of culture, and that that was sort of the issue, and why and why I think it's fair for some people to say, yeah, the church isn't any different, or the church doesn't appear to be any different. These teachings, what Christ has to say, doesn't appear to be any different. And the one place where it still seems to not be different, as as there have been uh, a lot of a lot of things that have moved forward, is actually in the makeup of the church itself. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, I should be clear in a, in sharing my experiences growing up in the Deep South. That is not to excuse all sorts of places elsewhere in the country. In fact, if you look at the history of the state of Oregon, Oregon's constitution was racist in its foundation all the way back at the beginning. And so we're talking, what, 1859? And slavery was outlawed in Oregon, but so were blacks. Mm-hmm. Essentially, blacks were disallowed from residing in the state of Oregon. It is quite possible, you see, to have been anti-slave, which many Northerners were, and also anti-black. Mm-hmm. The fact that the fact that a person might might hate slavery, and who wouldn't, um, but be a racist too, is something that doesn't seem to occur to some people. And so the, the state of Oregon was, in the 1920s and early 30s, was one of the main centers of power for the KKK, mm-hmm. something that, again, many people do not know, even in the state of Oregon. So this is, and there were sundown laws in the city of Tillamook all the way into the late 60s. So we, we're really facing uh, a fact that you cannot localize racism to a particular section of the country and then conveniently call them out or excoriate them for their racism. Racism exists all over the nation. It has been an endemic problem for centuries and it remains an ende- deeply embedded in this country's history and in its consciousness. Yeah, and the, the issue, I think, uh, you know, as, we, as we sort of walk through it and, and think about racism globally, historically, the fact is, there's never been any time at any place, anywhere, uh, you know, for any consistent period of time where racism wasn't dominant or, or, or tribalism, however you want to define it, that there has always been the other uh, who, yes. who, from wherever you were. The problem was, the problem is, is that the Christian message and the Christian, the scriptures and Jesus Christ himself and, and, and the writings of Paul and scripture all just came against that. They actually turned the entire thing upside down. And and so the expectation would be that Christians should be the one group of people who are not living that way. And of course, there are all kinds of examples where that's true, where all mm-hmm. kinds of examples where, in fact, the, the, the progression forward uh, in things like the civil rights movement, in things like the abolitionist movement against slavery, in all of those things, the, the main leaders of these movements are Christians it, it, against Nazism? You have Bonhoeffer. You have mm-hmm. you have just traditionally the people who are willing to fight and die, mm-hmm. and go and sit in a jail in Birmingham, and go and, and make the moves that have to be made. 
are consistently Christians because their faith and their understanding of the way the world works and that we were made in the image and likeness of God, all of us, men, women, uh, you know, and, and every race, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. It's been that uh, understanding and, and that commitment and conviction that has driven the, progr the progress that we've had. The point that we made on Sunday was that without the Christian uh, mindset, framework, and worldview, no one would be talking about racism being bad. It would just be a fact of life. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you've done a lot of study on, uh, as a history teacher and uh, for many years, and you have your doctorate in education and, and have thought deeply uh, about history going, going back all the way from, from Genesis 1 uh, through, through the Roman, Greek and Roman empires, through uh, you know, pre-Columbian and, and uh, modern American history. Let's talk for a minute about, say, you know, the Greek and Roman times, mm -hmm. the mindset towards the value of a human life. Well, that's important to understand, David. The touchstone for me has always been Galatians 3.28, where, where Paul, I think, makes one of the most radical statements that you could possibly conceive of in the days of the height of the Roman Empire when he states that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, free slave, well, he, he emphatically destroys three critical categories uh, in the ancient mind. One is the idea that, that slaves and freemen were the same mm -hmm. before God, that in Christ there was, there was no division. At that time, the population of Rome itself was probably at least 50% slave, and perhaps a majority slave, with slaves being maintained in, in their position by raw power. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact was that Rome had clearly delineated the value of human life according to its utility to the empire. Mm -hmm. And so you had a number of people whose only path out was either to try to hope for manumission from a, from a sympathetic or a kind owner or through gladiatorial combat. Uh, if you tried to escape, well, if you were caught, the, the consequences were severe. Mm -hmm. And so the, the Roman Empire at the time of Paul was very, very heavily divided, and as a matter of fact, as in the days of the American South before the Civil War, there was a deep fear of slaves because one knew that the ones that one oppresses uh, are not very happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was always the threat of a violent uprising, as in the days of Spartacus. Uh, always that was on the minds and in the hearts of the people who were oppressing. The combination of fear and power, using it as a power base, and using it as a basis for wealth. Something else we'll see in American history. It's the same thing. American wealth over centuries was developed to a very surprising degree because of the use of slave labor. Mm -hmm. The Romans did it. We would do it. Uh, if you take a look at the next element, if you look at Jew nor, nor Greek, okay, that is the Jew or the Gentile. Uh, that, of course, was shattering for Jewish consciousness. Uh, the Jews had developed a very serious set of parameters which put the Gentiles outside. They were, they were the outsiders. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that one had to keep pushing back. And instead of following through, on God's very clear instructions and his prophecies that Israel was to be a channel of blessing to the nations. It was to be a place where people were welcome in, where the instruction, which is the real meaning of the word Torah, the instruction of God could then be sent to the nations as a light and a glory instead of that. And disregarding clear scriptural prophecies that God intended that the Gentiles share the blessing and they would share the kingdom that they would be brought in by the Messiah. Disregarding that, they 
kept them outside. It was always an us versus them relationship. And for Paul to simply take a hammer to that, shatter it, was to the Jews a particular stumbling block. Mm-hmm. And then finally, male versus female, in some ways, this was the most radical thing that Paul said. If you had any division in most of the world, not just the Roman world, the world at large, right. it was the the dominance of the male in many societies, not all, we, have, we do have matriarchal societies in some parts of the world, but the fact is that, that to, to somehow designate an equality between men and women in the days of Paul was, was perhaps the most astonishing thing that he did. In Christ, there are none of these distinctions in Jesus Christ, there is a oneness, a wholeness, the family. View yourselves as sisters and brothers. See yourself as the children of God. Understand that we should love each other as God in Christ has loved us. And that we are not to reject the outsider, or the foreigner. Indeed, these categories don't exist. Right. There is no category of outsider or foreigner in Christ. There is no one, no one who is unacceptable to God. This is what Peter learned when, when you have the Roman centurion appear with him in Acts 10. The idea that Cornelius could simply come in and that the Holy Spirit could descend on them, that they could prophesy to, was absolutely shattering. Right. And it showed how the Holy Spirit, how God's intentions in Christ are, they really do damage to our sinful conceptions, the sinful divisions that we, uh, with the encouragement of, of Satan, mm. constantly construct. We constantly seek to put one above another. Right. We constantly seek to make one better than another, rather than seeing our common humanity and our common need for Christ. Uh, if we don't understand that, if we put together social and political structures that instead mirror the satanic kingdom, mm-hmm. the world, the worldly order, as Christ said, his kingdom did not consist of, if that's what we support, even tacitly, then we are to that degree furthering Satan's darkness rather than Christ's light. Yeah, I think that Undoubtedly, that's true, and undoubtedly, that is one of the fiercest temptations of, of human beings is to continue in what I would call ladder society, you know, where we create ladders, we create uh, the, the strata, right, which is completely from the pit and yet dominates the ancient world dominates both east and west you still have you still have major vestiges of the caste system in india even though it was outlawed in the 50s mm-hmm. and yet it's still completely uh defines some areas and mm-hmm. and at some level defines all areas of, of indian culture and society to where the dalits the the untouchables in india still feel less than human and of course for them all of it's related to karma well don't go and help this untouchable right mm-hmm. this untouchable out because you're going to mess up the whole thing they need to go through this because in their past life whatever all these worldviews whatever they were they all somehow aimed in the same direction which said this one's better than that one. That one's better than this one. Mm-hmm. And in American culture, we've we've got, you know, and, and this might this might rub against some people the wrong way, but the whole conception of the American dream mm-hmm. um, that there will be those you can quote unquote pull yourself up from your bootstraps. You work hard enough, and then what do you get? Not mm-hmm. royalty, no, but you get wealth, power mm-hmm. above your brother, above your neighbor, and mm-hmm. even those who who society has conspired at some level to put at the bottom of the ladder, even they appreciate the system thinking, if I do this or that, I can be in this situation. Now, most of us, or I would say that our best, our best uh, thoughts and, and our best uh, desires and goals are to say, what I really want is to live a life where I can 
take care of my family, love my spouse, uh, you know, serve the Lord, uh, you know, do these things in a way that's that's safe, secure, and comfortable. There's nothing wrong with those. Those are those are those are good. That that's the good. But when it becomes, I want to become, and I see this more and more now, famous, which I think is just crazy. Why would you want to become famous? Uh, we've seen that become a downfall for something. But powerful, rich, mm-hmm. um, bigger house, bigger this, bigger that, and so on. All of this is is this idea of one person above the other. Whether we do it with race, whether we do it with gender, whether we do it with class, mm-hmm. this is this is a temptation that we have. And every society, there is no one, no society that I've ever seen that's been able to be immune. Whether mm-hmm. whether they were, you know creating systems of nobility or whether we do it simply without nobility, but we just put dollar signs next to it. Mm -hmm. We continuously push to put everyone on a ladder. And even those who are on the bad side of that ladder Mm -hmm. tend to appreciate systems where they think they have a chance to be on that ladder. And then you have some systems where nobility goes to, to the wrong point. And then you have things like the French revolution or the October revolution in Russia, Mm -hmm. where people say, you know what, (laughs) we're just going to flip the system in one shot. Uh, let's just, it's the guillotine for these folks or it's the rifle for these folks. However we do it, we're going to just flip this thing on its head. Of course, that never works either because it's still an attempt. <laughs> it's still an attempt to say this one is better and the other, whoever that is, is worse. Right. I'm glad you mentioned the caste system because that's something that I've reflected on for decades as far as understanding the satanic order of mm-hmm. things. Uh, if you look at, you can look at India's caste system, of course, it is, it's got a religious foundation, uh, which based on reincarnation says that all that is, is justifiable by all that was, Mm -hmm. that is whatever you have, you deserve. You see a bit of this actually in the disciples and Christ coming upon a person who was crippled and. And the disciples asking, Lord, for whose sins is this man this way? His own or the sins of his parents? And Christ hit them with the mind blower. Neither, he said. This has happened to him for the kingdom of God. And proceeded to heal him. Um, In other words, there is something dark in the human soul that lives with suffering and tragedy by one way or another attributing the origin of the suffering or tragedy to the person who's suffering. What's the book of Job about? Mm. The whole thing is an exploration uh, of Job being interrogated by his good friends and God save us from our good friends (laughs) uh, and telling him, you're proud, you're arrogant. You say you haven't done anything to deserve this, but God wouldn't do this to you. The only way that God would do this to you is if you deserve it, so you need to come clean. Well, this goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter after Mm -hmm. chapter. What the friends didn't understand, of course, what Job didn't know either, was that there was a high drama playing out in the heavenly regions. Satan was accusing. Satan was saying that God had given him great preference and God had allowed these various calamities to happen to him, not because of the fact that Job didn't love the Lord and had not sought to be true in every way possible to the Lord's way, but rather that these temptations, as James notes in the book of James, had come upon him to teach him patience. Mm -hmm to teach him a greater faith, uh, that the Lord intended greater good and a greater glory should come out of it. We must cling to that because it applies in all of our lives. Those sufferings, the temptations that come should not be used as a rationale for witch hunting, uh, for putting some sort of an imperial prosecution in place Hmm. to treat a person like damaged goods automatically because these things would not have happened except this is to attempt to hijack the sovereignty of God in the name of trying to rationalize calamities. Hmm. Uh, The sufferings and the problems that come in life may come for various reasons. 
most of whom are totally unknown to us. If we were humble enough to admit, I don't understand, and leave it at that, and to pray, and to do all that you can, but otherwise to leave it with God. If you are in a position of trying to rationalize it, well, you, you have an issue there. And you see, this is, this is a problem that we face when we deal with the evils that come along, uh, whatever they happen to be, and we attempt, as the caste system is an attempt to rationalize all of this. Right. And it essentially set up hard and fast dividers and indeed firewalled any possible attempt to alleviate suffering because then you yourself would become balled up mm. uh, in the next cycle. There are a lot of evangelical Christians who are, ironically enough, rather fans of karma. Like the disciples, they want to come to some simple, definite reason or a method of understanding why bad things happen to people. Mm -hmm. it, hasn't, it hasn't really helped. It's been a problem in the history of the church. Uh, and if you take all of that then and transfer it to, let's say, slavery in America, and look at modern so-called pillars of the church, so-called evangelical leaders, who look at these things and say, well, it was far better for blacks to have been taken from Africa because otherwise they would be, they would be pagan still. They, this was their opportunity to know Christ. My response is, and why not simply preach the gospel to them in their lands? Right. One, to, to rationalize your own evils or the evils of ancestors by saying, well, at least they had an opportunity to hear the gospel, is to my mind, one of the most evil, ignorant, foolish inversions. Uh, what? We should, we should kidnap people. We should destroy families. We should enslave people in the name of Christ. Well, no wonder a skeptic says, this is the way you guys are, because it is, it is completely incompatible, in my view, with the spirit of Christ, with the content of Christ, with the, the teachings of, of the Bible, uh, and to behave in such a deliberately, deliberately perverse way, mm -hmm. to put darkness for light and light for darkness, to put bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Okay, this indicates that we have evangelicals who simply have not allowed the wisdom and the words of the Lord to percolate into their own soul. They lack any empathy whatsoever. They speak of these things theoretically, and as a result, they come out with these pronouncements and these theological snap judgments that I think are stink in the nostrils of God and naturally also accomplish the alienation of people who might be sympathetic to the genuine words of Christ, to the genuine love of God in the scriptures, but instead are driven away by the hypocrisy, the foolishness, the ignorance, uh, and the hatefulness, mm -hmm. the hardness of heart, which is at the heart here, that has been driving people away from Christ for centuries. This is, if you take a look at the history of church, you'll find that in the history of the church, the, the visible institutional church, that people have been alienated by the uncountable throngs, by people whose hardness of heart does not reflect Christ, but reflects their own darkness. Yeah. Yeah. As to as to the issue of race, as to the issue of gender, as to as to a number of issues that I can think of, there has always been an attempt to justify the harms that have been done by uh, your own tribe, whether you define that culturally or religiously. Um, there's always been an attempt to justify whether it's using scripture or or common sense or wh whatever the whatever the uh, battle cry is against. We, what we really did wasn't that bad, or what we're doing isn't that bad. I mean, you have the same thing with, you know, you, you uh, 
yourself, David, are, are uh, First Nations person, you have that, uh, um, you, you have a deep understanding of that history and, and culturally it, you yourself uh, and your family have, have suffered through in, in, in the history of this country. Um, the, the other, the sort of manifest destiny, uh, you know, and, and the same arguments have been made. Well, we, we took these irreligious people, we took these people who, and of course, brought the gospel to them. Yeah, sure, we brought smallpox, guns, and and you know all the rest of that, but but the gospel, of course, too, right? And and so uh, you know the the evil, mm-hmm. the nonsense. Rather than saying we did something horribly bad and don't know don't know what could be ever done to fix it, which the answer is there's nothing that can be done to mm-hmm. fix evil. That's that's the whole message of Christ. Only only. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross is able to bring grace, which is the only thing that can ever undo even the smallest of sins. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, well, it wasn't really a sin if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Boy, didn't we help all these black people out who, who were you know, you know, following false religions or, or all these First Nations people, these, these, these Native Americans uh, mm-hmm. you know, who were also doing the same. I mean, the, the vileness of arguments of that type Mm-hmm. Is is so patently obvious to everyone, and of course the skeptic is going to look and say, "That's your answer. Mm-hmm. This is what your scriptures say. This is who Jesus was." Well, I'll, I, I'll tell you what, sir. I have no interest in this at all, um, and I wouldn't blame them if, in fact, that was the Christian message, which it is not. Yes, that's the key. If you take a look at the history of Native Americans with the coming of Western Europe. And if we just focus on, on the USA, because you have separate histories for each section of the Native American world that was shaken. Um, if we focus on that, what we see is that we've constructed a series of historical myths to cover all of the many evils that were done with garments of, a, of appearing righteousness. The idea is we rationalize the evils by saying that after all, this was done in the name of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Now, many of the colonies in America were not even established for the glory of God. Not all of them did that. Not every place was the Massachusetts colony. Mm-hmm. Virginia certainly was not. And so the, the, the fact that we have to come to grips with, in the first place, we have to learn enough history so that we're not totally ignorant. And I mean real history. I don't mean the, the ignorant myths uh, or the propagandistic myths, the malicious myths that have been constructed to speak of the inf- inferiority of Native Americans or their paganism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But rather to have looked at this and have seen, you cannot find the Great Commission in the doctrine of manifest destiny. You cannot, if you're speaking in terms of the wonders of sharing the gospel with Native American tribes, there was an openness in very many of the tribes right from the start to hearing about Jesus Christ. However, because of the clear hypocrisies that emerged, of the differences between what was said and what was done, uh, the many, and I mean countless, sins of aggression against the peoples uh, that were here when the Europeans came, there was a great conflict that was generated. There was great hatred that was generated. Uh, Europeans, the best thing that you can say is some of them were totally ignorant. Uh, vast majority of them were frankly just greedy or desperate or desperate and greedy. Right. And they were quite willing to dispossess Native American tribes of what they had and their, the resources thereof to lie, to cheat, to steal, and even to murder uh, in order to get their piece of this. And over time, uh, a doctrine was developed that was called highest use, where 
massive continental-wide theft was justified on the basis of the fact that the previous occupants of the land were not making the highest use of the land, that their way of life was inferior, that their way of life was pagan, that their way of life was barbaric. Now, of course, the Romans would have understood that. The world was divided between Rome and the barbarians. Mm -hmm. And so the, the fact that we had this ongoing series of very aggressive imperialistic acts against Native Americans uh, naturally led to conflict. Uh, it was conflict we caused. And worse, not only was it conflict, uh, very early on it became genocide, true genocide, where uh, so-called ethnic cleansing was in operation, where sometimes not even, uh, not even sanctioned by king or congress. This was happening out at the edge, on the frontier. Uh, Native Americans were simply being slaughtered. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were being subverted with alcohol. They were being given guns, uh, which led, of course, to further conflict. And they were squeezed off of the land in the name of this vast movement forward of progress and civilization. This myth of America as the last best hope, what we today call American exceptionalism, was a justification for a whole host of evils, uh, not one of which could be, could be justified by an appeal in good conscience to the, good uh, to the Great Commission. This was not what Christ meant right. when he said, go to all the nations. If we were really interested in going to all the nations, we would have simply gone to them. Right. No, this was, this was a massive invasion a continental, multi-continent invasion of North and South America by the Europeans. And it was merciless, it was murderous, uh, it was, it was uh, an approach that treated Native Americans as subhuman, which, which claimed that, uh, that they were no better than blacks, that they were savages, as they were referred to by Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence, that they were not worthy of the land that they were on, that the only possible approach to them was to kill them. Thus, General Sherman's famous declaration that the only good Indian he had ever seen was dead. Mm -hmm. And so this, is, this was the approach of so-called Christian civilization to Native Americans, and it's we're now, we're now way over 500 years in on this. This didn't start with pilgrims. This started with the first arrival of Columbus. And uh, that would eventually lead to the, literally to the extinction of the various Carib and Arawak tribes just in the Caribbean within a period of about 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, all of them were gone. As, as a people, and there are various estimations as to how many were there, but generally you'll get a consensus that somewhere between five and eight million uh, natives were living in the areas around Cuba and the surrounding islands. Within 50 years, they were all gone to a person. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that there were a few priests that lamented this and that the Catholic Church, to its credit, um, disclaimed it and condemned it. It didn't lead in to any change whatsoever on the ground. Right. Uh, so a skeptic can rightfully claim, just as is often claimed with the Crusades and so forth, that, that for people who are followers of Jesus Christ, these folks are singularly murderous and merciless, that there is a singular self-righteousness that leads to aggressive action, that leads to people being dead and not having the gospel proclaimed. Uh, they might pray over the bodies, but that was about as close as anything came to anything. And like most prayers over bodies, quite often the hearts issuing the prayers are empty. Right. And so it was, it, it's, 
it leads beyond skepticism, it leads to cynicism, and it leads to outright rejection. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, historically, there is no question whatsoever that a person has to be troubled by this, that a person may be much more than troubled by this. I, I had members of my own family die on the Trail of Tears, the first Trail of Tears, which the Choctaw undertook after the Treaty of Dancing Rabbit Creek in 1831. We lost, we lost two members of our family uh, in those enforced migrations. And this is, this is the history of the nation. You can never make progress individually or as a people until and unless you recognize that wrong has been done. If you don't realize and further confess and further offer restitution, then there is no cleansing. And that's why this persists as a problem in our nation. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as a Christian nation, and there are a lot of so-called pillars of the evangelical church who would fight this one to the death. But the fact is that they are on false ground. The nation has done great evil, great murderousness, and Christians have been complicit in rationalizing the evil instead of doing what they should have which was to prophetically point out the problem, prophetically denounce it, and prophetically resist. Now that's, there are exceptions. We know, for example, that the Quakers, the Society of Friends, uh, were, were quite opposed to slavery, as an example. That there were various missionary groups amongst uh, a handful of evangelical churches, the Presbyterians and others, who were sacrificial in reaching out to Native American tribes. My own family directly benefited from the Mayhew School down in what was Mississippi, in Choctaw land there. Uh, and so there were Christians of good conscience who were making statements in their words and in their deeds as to the truth of the gospel and its necessary implications socially and even politically. There are implications of the gospel. They were falling through on it. That was the real fulfillment of the Great Commission. Those people who simply went in with guns and proceeded to murder people, any of them who claim the gospel or the scriptures as justification for what they were doing uh, are lying, or they are self-deluded, because that cannot be the truth. And that's what I would say to a skeptic is, you must go to the scriptures yourself. You can't go to history and look at Christians. You must go to the scriptures and look at Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ is the starting and the finishing point. The cross and the resurrection indicate that God has provided the true remedy for the death sentence that we're under. And he provides us through the Holy Spirit with the power day by day, year by year, decade by decade in our own lives to press back the darkness and also to come to understand the implications socially, politically, that bodies of Christians should be having anywhere that they are in any system that they are in. We as American Christians have a great deal of liberty. We have a great deal of elbow room to develop the implications of the gospel. We have massive opportunity. We're not living in an oppressive state. We're not in the Roman Empire where there is no possibility of certain political and social changes being made directly because you have no voice. Right. Instead, we live in a society where we do have the freedom and indeed the obligation and duty to speak up. We do have the ability to protest. We do have the ability to organize boycotts. We have all sorts of things that, for example, Dr. Martin Luther King developed mm -hmm. in the 1950s and 60s. The civil rights movement showed what could happen when a movement 
that was primarily led by black Christian leaders, by mm -hmm. the black Christian pastors who eschewed violence, who remained nonviolent, who turned the other cheek, but who organized boycotts, who organized protests, civil disobedience, and were willing to nonviolently suffer the consequences of that in an unjust land, they demonstrated what was possible. So to my friends who are skeptics, I say, look at people like Martin Luther King. Uh, look into that life because that shows you not the slaughter on the plains or the enforced ethnic cleansing or genocide of entire peoples that was done by these so-called Christians. That shows you the righteous way. That shows you what could be and what must be if we are to exercise our responsibilities and duties as American citizens and as Christians to do the right thing, to do the Lord's work the Lord's way, not simply to use the Lord's name in vain, which is what usually happens, but rather to use the Lord's name righteously, which means in, in love and in humility to serve others, to follow the command of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, the Savior, and to go into all nations and to make disciples and to teach them everything that I have taught you, the fullness of the whole counsel of God to be shared. And it has to be reflected in the lives. Can't be done at the, at the point of a spear. Can't be done at the muzzle of a cannon. It cannot and must not be done with firearms. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is what a skeptic should look at. Look at the life of the great saints who have demonstrated that the worldly way of power and of murder and of corruption is not the way of Christ, and that you do have examples of believers who have shown the way of Christ. You are not without witnesses and testimonies and cases, my friend. If you are skeptical, don't look at the, the church, quote unquote, the visible church. Look at Christ and look at the faithful saints who have across the millennia shown that the way of the Lord is transformational and can indeed be immensely powerful. Uh, as I said, just in our own recent times, go and spend some time studying the life of King. Go look at Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, you have people who have demonstrated uh, the, the way to resist power, to speak truth to power, to, to call power to account. Those, those people existed in the days of the Roman emperors, believe me. But in our own time, you don't have to reach back there. In our own time, you can find the people. You can check the history of the Society of the White Rose. Uh, in Germany, the White Rose, there you go. You, you had university students in the early 20s who were executed for handing out leaflets opposing Hitler. That was true. That was the truth. There are people who were slaughtered for trying to defend black, black freedmen in the days of Jim Crow and segregation when lynchings were going on right and left and were mainly being ignored by white folks. The fact was that there were white evangelicals who denounced the practices. Uh, so there are reasons for you to look past the darkness that's trying to obliterate the possibility of faith in you to see the definite shining lights, the brilliantly shining lights that call you to Christ. You're really, you really cannot argue that because of the evil of others, I cannot believe Christ. If you do that, then you're allowing your own blindness to stand between you and the one who's calling you. Don't allow that to happen in your life. Uh, the, the historical sins of the past should not be a roadblock to salvation now, because now is the day, now is the hour. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
it's it's a powerful truth that you know what what Christ stood for is it blows up culture it completely it upends culture and the problem is and for the skeptic and for the believer the important thing to understand is that when Christianity becomes synonymous with cult with with culture of any kind whether that's connected to a to a national uh, you know identity, whether that's connected to a racial identity, whether that's connected to whatever it is, when Christianity gets conflated with some other culture, the result is that the evils of the culture will be attempted to be baptized with Christianity with the Scripture, and that's of course what happened uh, is that you had Christianity as a cultural fact, as opposed to in other words, this whole idea of Christian nation which is nonsense. There's no nation. That Christ was not establishing a nation. Christ established his church. There's no nation that's Christian, and certainly the United States of America never was and never will be, um, nor will there be any other nation that will be quote-unquote Christian. There's only one nation, only one nation that God has set aside, and that's the nation of Israel, to bring in the whole world, to be a light to the Gentiles. Um, but putting that aside, those who came in and said, we're culturally Christians, therefore, whatever our culture does must therefore be Christian. That's, of course, absurd. Dr. King proved that to be false. Uh, you know, in, in the, in, if we were a Christian nation, then why is it that this small minority of this nation is the only one speaking truth to the majority? Mm -hmm. um, and so, as you've said, for those who are skeptics, uh, you, you need to look past things that were done as a cultural moment in time where evil was done and then attempted to be baptized in, in with, by the way, terrible, illogical arguments, attempted to be baptized as Christian. Instead, look at what the Christian, what the, the through line that you can see from the beginning is that the first people to speak out against slavery, the first people to speak up for women's rights, the first people to speak in all these cases have been believers and have done so because of the testimony of Jesus Christ and those who followed him and what the scriptures say from beginning to end. That's the only through line that you have, the only logical, reasonable explanation for why we would say the most important things in the life of the true seeker of truth mm -hmm. are that there is such a thing as equality, that there is such a thing as justice and mercy and truth and love. And the only place where you can find a logical and reasonable justification for the reality of those things mm -hmm. is in Christianity. You will not find it anywhere else. The fact that some people have said, quote unquote, I'm a Christian or we're all Christians and therefore the fact that we have acted genocidally or have acted just purely in a racist or sexist manner does not make them correct that that's what they've done. In fact, they're just trying to justify evil that they've done, which is something I would not want to have to answer for, uh, mm -hmm. for those who have done that, for those who continue to do that. Now I'm talking to the believer. If you want to continue to speak myths to yourself, to refuse to educate yourself about the reality of what's happened, to refuse to continue to listen to those, to continue to, to, to refuse to listen to those who continue to bring up the incessant racism and sexism that still exists both in the church and out in this country and in the Western world, if you still won't listen to the voices who are, who are crying out to you for help, and saying, there is still oppression, we are still afraid. And instead, you want to hold on to your tribalism and hold on to a false notion of Christian nation. You should expect that the Lord will not be happy with that on the day when you face him and the issue of your rewards is at hand. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a problem, of course, within the, the history of the visible church, the institutional church, uh, from the days of Constantine forward. Um, the, the temptation to merge church and state has, has led to powerful corruptions for 1,700 years. So this is not, this is not a new problem, it, but we have to recognize it for what it is. It is, it is a corruption. Uh, when you attempt to fuse the two, you are disregarding Christ's definite statement that his church was not of this world. It's not of this world order. It is not of the world's way of doing things. 
And so to attempt to put swords and spears behind the proclamation of the gospel deliberately, deliberately ignores and tramples underfoot the definite teaching of Christ. Put away your sword, Peter. My kingdom is not this way. We're not called to, to slice people's ears or anything else off. We're not called to, to try to create so-called conversions at the point of a spear. No one by force can convert a person. That is the work of the Holy Spirit by the will of God and by the blood of Christ. Only God can induce conversion, the great transformation, the new life, the new creature. That is the work of God. Anything else is a deed of the flesh. It's an, it's an attempt to use power to outwardly force people to be born again. You cannot do it. It is not possible. So that's not a new that's not a new problem, and it represents yet another perversion. The, if we look at the question of sexism, that is, the, the attempted subjugation of one gender to another, uh, the attempt to rationalize the, look what we're talking about again, again, to subordinate to, to a position of oppression in relationships, if we attempt to do that between man and woman, just as between white and black or white and Native American or whatever, it represents another attempt to, to raise oneself up by pushing someone else down. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at what the Lord tells us about the man and the woman, it's clear that Adam in his creation, had, had capabilities that represented the fullness of God. And that when Adam saw and the Lord blessed the dividing of Adam into male and female, the one became two so that the two could become one, that what was intended was, was a dynamic, blessed union, that there was not to be some sort of a notion of I, I am ruling over you and if necessary will use terrorism, force, blows, whatever it is, that instead of regarding you as bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, I regard you as some sort of menial, as a matter of fact, it's really a new form of slavery. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's just a gender-based form of slavery rather than a color-based form of slavery. Uh, then, if I don't see that, then I'm going to create yet another satanic pustule in, in human life. It, is, it has led across centuries and centuries to the general domination and brutal oppression of the woman by the man, rather than following the Lord's pattern of love, mutual care, that the, the helper was there to bring blessings to your life and that you were to be a blessing to the helper. This is, this is so fundamentally clear. And, and the Lord makes it clear, too, that it's only because of hardness of heart, again, that, that things have gone south, that we have, we have allowed ourselves to rationalize brutality and worse, murder, uh, in the name of, of some sort of alleged male supremacy uh, that looks very much like the worldly order. It's mm -hmm. all about power. It's all about brutality. It's about using other people, enslaving others, building up my own position and my own wealth even by taking others and putting them beneath my feet. This is not the way the Lord said. In the beginning, it was not so. 
this was not the intention of God. That we have sought out, as Ecclesiastes puts it, we've sought out many devices. Uh, the human race, the fallen human race, is very, very good at finding all sorts of ways to screw things up. Uh, it's just a question of which way we screw things up. And for women to be, to be in terror and fear, for there to be such breakdowns within the family, for people to have to seek shelters and help from parents, friends, and others, for people to have to run away and seek to hide themselves and their children because men have become brutes and murderers, uh, this, is, this is an awful thing. So are the various so-called forms of theology which seem to indicate that the woman should submit to the man. Submissiveness, in this sense, is not using the scriptural notion of submission, which is, which is a willing, loving subordination, which is blessed in turn by a willing self-sacrifice and a willing, wholehearted love. Uh, but rather, instead, is submission is turned into servility, it's turned into not only will you be a slave, but you need to be slavish in your life. You need to be slavish in your attitude. You need to literally prostrate yourself before me as your Lord and master, because like Satan, I take great pleasure in trampling those who I put under my feet, which is everybody except me. Uh, this is this is such an awful thing. It's such an obvious perversion. And yet, because it's so common, whether we're talking cults, genuine cults, or various Christian cultic groups, or various so-called pillars of the church claiming that the woman should, should become servile in all ways, all in the name of so-called submission, that it's almost painful to have to say this is a perversion of the scriptures. This represents a departure from the faith. It is not the heart of God. It is not the intent. Uh, it's just as perverse as those who attempted to drive the children away from the Lord. And he says, no, let them come to me. It would be just as absurd and perverse for the disciples to have driven all the women away, which you'll recall there are incidents in which Pharisees and the disciples at times were very uncomfortable about women coming and talking to the Lord. Uh, matter of fact, the disciples weren't even with him, with the woman at the well, Samaria. Uh, Christ was completely at comfort, totally comfortable with meeting and speaking to women. And women have important roles to play. And to the skeptic, I would say, if you look at Paul's own writings, say in Romans 16, or if you look at the history of the church, there have been many, many ways in which the women of the church have demonstrated great Christ-likeness, and they'll enter in before some of the brutes who were supposedly calling the shots. This is, this is an important thing. The church has, unfortunately, right up to the present, you can find, you can find groups of Christians who are not teaching the proper full truth about the relationship of men and women, the nature of the, the dynamic love that's supposed to be in place there. And by so doing, they are giving skeptics all sorts of good reasons to say, well, if this is what Christianity is, then I want no part of it. Who can blame them? Not me, although I do, I do call them and I do want to see the Holy Spirit draw them into true Christianity, which is what we've been trying to share today. We're, we're out of time, um, and I want to take some time to, to pray uh, before we end here, but I want to thank Dr. David for being with us. Uh, I think we should do this again, and, and maybe, maybe on the same subject, there's so much more ground to cover. Um, but for the skeptic who is struggling with what they perceive as the way Christians have treated um, people who are other uh, in their minds or, or people who are uh, not the same gender, not the same color, not the same whatever. Um, Christ has, has destroyed 
all differences of those kind, you know, in terms of value uh, on the cross. There is, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. We are all one in Christ. We are all made in his image and likeness. And, and so let's pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to live a life that is not defined by uh, cultural ideas of what Christianity means, but rather is defined by what you've said following you means, Jesus. And we, we want to be defined by the scripture, by the true uh, heart uh, that we are called to have to love one another, that that when you say that to be great is to serve, and we say, well, wait a second, that's not how I define great, uh, we let you define it, not ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we would have a heart of service, that we would serve our brothers and our sisters, uh, wherever they are, whatever they uh, look like, wherever they come from, and no matter how, how much everyone else wants to make someone other, that we would serve, that we would love, that we would, without violence, without oppression, without desire to put ourselves above, would instead put ourselves below, um, thinking of others as higher than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord, that we would truly lift each other up, that, that we would understand the issues of authority and issues of submission, issues of all those things, biblically, and not from the way that this world would think about them, not in an attempt to lord authority, not in an attempt to put one higher, but rather all as opportunities for service and for love, Lord. And I just ask that you would, uh, the people of Axtras, the people who listen to this podcast, uh, whether here or anywhere else in the world, Lord, we just pray that they would be inspired by your Holy Spirit to go out and live the true Christian life. Whatever that means and whatever suffering comes as a result of it, there could be nothing greater than being in your will and to truly live out the scriptures and the teachings as you've given them to us. In your name we pray.